We're going to study out the chapter that is the central hearts of the book of Revelation. Chapters 4 and chapter 5. Amen. And the title of the lesson, Cosmic Worship. Let's get a running start. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Come on. Come on. Remember Jesus' admonition to the seven churches. In verse 19, he concludes these admonitions with these words. Those whom I love and rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and hear that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right here. Jesus' heart is full of love for all the churches. Amen? Amen. But in this love, He rebukes them. How different is that from the world? We think that to love someone is to remain silent. And yet we see that Jesus cares so much that He's willing to speak the truth. And love. Interesting. The vision that's given to John right here. Is Jesus standing at the door of the church. Saying hey here I am. He's knocking. Saying please let me in. And the Bible then promises hey if you let Jesus in. If you overcome. Then you get to sit down. On the very throne of Jesus in heaven. Amen church. Okay. Now, let's go to chapter 4. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Come on, Peter. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Wow. That, that's kind of incredible, isn't it? Because the door was closed for the church, and yet the door to heaven was open. That's the heart of our God. Amen. Amen. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like that of a trumpet, said, Come up here. This is Jesus talking. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So what happens right here? We find the the next vision that comes to John. He sees an open door to heaven. Then he's ushered into the very throne room of God. And he sees God on his throne. Now, of course, if you're a struggling disciple and you see his vision, you've just been promised, hey, if you open the door of your heart, then you get to sit on the throne. And you're going, amen, I think it can happen. Let's keep going. Let's go to verse 3. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow like that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Well, here we have two precious stones. Amen? Mm-hmm. And of course, with the light of God, these stones would have a, a piercing light going out from the throne. And given that these were cut stones, that would then form a, form a prison. And in this prison would form a rainbow. And so, around the very throne of God, 
which was brilliant and sparkling. In this vision, he sees this emerald rainbow. And now, that's exciting for all God's people, because we know that from Genesis chapter 9, the promise from the rainbow was that God would never again destroy his people. Amen, guys? And so, the people from the Old Testament will see the rainbow and go, Amen! It's the promise of God! And the people from the New Testament will see the rainbow and go, Amen! It's the promise of God! And it circled around His throne. You guys get the picture right here? Look here in verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Okay, let's stop there. This is exciting. So we see the throne of God. Light emulating from it's producing this, this gorgeous, incredible rainbow. And then around the throne, we have 24 other thrones. Amen? Amen. And so once more, if you're a disciple and Jesus says, Hey, I'm going to give you my throne. You're saying, Oh boy, there's a bunch of thrones up here. This is awesome. And we know that all the numbers in the book of Revelation are not by chance. And so we're going to talk about that more in the symbolic aspects of the numbers next week in our lesson. But right here, this is incredible. The number 24 is not by chance. He wasn't like, hey, let's just pull up 24 random thrones. He's like, no, what it represents is very simply this. 12 of the seats represents the sons of Jacob. All the people of God from the old covenant, from physical Israel that were faithful to him. The other 12 were the apostles and all the faithful people of God from spiritual Israel. So what we have right here is a representation of the faithful people of God, both from the old covenant and from the new covenant. Amen, church? And seated on the thrones were these elders. They were dressed in white and with these crowns of gold on their heads. Of course, white represents purity. And that just means that they were pure in their lives. They were faithful to God. The crown represents triumph. So the the gold represents that they got this triumph by laying down their lives by being martyred. Isn't that an exciting theme or not? So all the faithful and angels are represented right here. And now let's look here in verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now once more, we are in the throne room of God. And it's incredible because we see the throne. And a lot like ancient times, or if you see on TV with different throne rooms... Usually there's a kind of polished marble floor and everything. But right here, the Bible says in in this vision, the floor was like a mirror. And of course, a mirror, all it does is reflects light. Amen? It magnifies the light. And so the light that's emulating from the throne, the Bible says, now is emulating in, in flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. I mean the throne of God 
now is emblematic of Mount Sinai. Do you remember the passage from Exodus chapter 19? Where Moses was the only one to ascend to Mount Sinai. And all the people of God says, Hey, you can't touch the mountain. If you even touch it or one of your animals touch the mountain, it's so holy that you will die. And yet everyone just stood around the mountain going, That is incredible. That is our God. And there was a sense of reassurance that all disciples had. Amen, church? Amen. And the Bible says that before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. That's talking about the life in the church. That's the Holy Spirit right here. See, the number seven represents completeness. And the Bible says there are seven spirits of God. Now, let's go in to chapter four. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like that of a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Oh, baby. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Of course, this is incredible. We understand that the four living creatures come from Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 2. See, isn't it exciting how the Old Testament comes in life in the New Testament, guys? So right here we have the throne of God with thunder and lightning, with this prism of light producing a whole rainbow. And now, this says that in front of the 24 thrones, we find four living creatures. One of them had the face of a lion. Another an ox. Another a man. Another an eagle. What a powerful resemblance of symbolism right here. Now, in the thinking of the time, what this represented was the created order of things. In other words, in their minds, there were four groups of beings that populated the earth. There were the wild beasts, wild beasts, which the lion represents, the ox, which represents domesticated animals, the the man, which get this represented represented man, amen, uh, and the fourth, an eagle, which represents all the birds. Come on. So this is how they broke down all of life. And this is powerful because we see right here is that man is not the center of creation. We see that man is not the center of the universe, but merely one of the created beings. Are you with me right here, church? Now, interestingly enough, in the late second century, we see that, we'll see that as we go through the book of Revelation, People began attaching secondary meanings and sometimes false meanings to things like the four living creatures and others, like Armageddon, the thousand year reign, which we'll be addressing in the future weeks. But one that's interesting is in the late second century, the Christian writers started saying the four living creatures represented the four gospel writers. So Matthew is pictured as a human 
as a, uh, as a human being because his gospel begins, begins with the very geone- genealogy of Jesus and traces Jesus' uh, uh, human heritage. Amen? Mm-hmm. Mark is pictured as the lion because he calls Jesus the son of God, the royal, powerful one. Luke is the ox because he begins his gospel in the temple where the sacrifice of animals takes place. And John is the eagle because he pictures Jesus as the word of God and points to his heavenly origins. Amen? Thus soaring in the heavens. Now that... Now that that wasn't the, the intent of the writer... But I thought it was very interesting and creative right here. Amen, guys? So, of your interest, though, is verse 8. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Remember from our first lesson, and I'm sure you guys remember everything from our first lesson. Amen? Amen. Remember, the saying of the time was, Zeus was... Zeus is, and Zeus is to come. And right now we have the four living creatures. And those living in heaven saying, Hold it, no. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and will to come. Amen, church? Look at verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him, who sits on the throne... And whoever lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. Wow, this is such a powerful scene right here. We see that when the praises of God comes, the 24 elders fall down and take their very crowns and they once more offer it back to God. Because they realize these crowns weren't something they earned. They were the gift of God. And they praise God with their salvation. And the Bible says right here that as they laid down their crowns before Him, they sang, You are worthy, O Lord, our God. Now remember that the book of Revelation is most likely written in mid-90s AD. This, this is when Domitian, the emperor, was reigning. And he was like, like the Caesar of the day. Now, in the old days of the Roman Empire, when one of the emperors died, uh, or one of the Caesars died, they would then become deified. But Domitian goes, Hold it! I want to be God while I'm living. And I decree that everybody must address me as Lord and as God. And so you can see the dilemma that sets up between the disciple and the government. And so right here, Jesus is coming strong saying, Hey, don't get pulled in by the world. Come on, bro. Domitian, Caesar, the emperor, is not Lord and God. It is God who is Lord and God. Amen, church? What a powerful testimony. Well, you know the seven churches represent all the churches. And we have to ask ourselves, in looking at chapter 4, what would they be thinking when they ushered into the very throne room of God? 
and see the presence of God. Well, number one, if you are weak, if you're being persecuted, if you, if you saw the elders bowing down and laying down their crowns, if you saw them seated on the thrones, you'd be going, yes, everything that Jesus promised is true. It's already happened for these guys. And so when you get, and so you're going to get pumped up for the Lord right here. Amen, church? Come on, bro. But suppose you had become worldly and, and complacent as a Christian. See, as, as the church in Sardis and Laodicea did. Then when you see the glory of God, when you see that what life was all about was the worship of Jehovah God, it's going to make you feel uneasy. It's going to be disturbing. Very disturbing. Because that's not the, what your life was all about. And if you see this vision of God, that all life is summed up in worship of God, you're going to get uncomfortable, uneasy, edgy, disturbed. Let's go to chapter 5. Come on, bro. This is awesome. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with it. Seven seals. Do you kind of wonder what the scroll is all about? Well, that's the point of what's, what he's trying to make. See, that there's an air of, a, of expectancy. Saying, wow, what, what is this all about? Well, you're thinking it must be official because it's sealed, not just with one seal, but with seven. And you know what? Back in the old days, they would just take some wax, put it on the envelope or some parchment, take the signet ring, which is like a special symbol, stamp it into the wax, and seal the document so that if anyone tampered with the envelope or, or the document, they would know. And so it was, it was official. So let's see what happens in verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth, or under earth, could open the scroll, or even look inside it. I wept, and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll, or look inside. Now, th th this is amazing. He's in the very throne room of God, and all of a sudden, the Bible says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who was worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And John says he's looking around, and the Bible says that no one in heaven, no one on earth, so presently living, and no one under the earth, people that have passed away, no human that's ever existed could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And the Bible says... I was overwhelmed. Oh no. I wept and I wept. Let's look in verse 5. Come on, bro. Come on. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and eat in its seven seals. Isn't that awesome? 
it, it, it's kind of like, an, like think of like an elder standing beside, beside, you, beside you and says, hey dude, don't worry. The, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the root of David, he is worthy. And of course, David was the Messiah of the Old Testament. He was the agent of God who came and threw off the enemies of God's people. And so right here, he represents it very powerfully. See, a, a root of David, his very own son will come. And he will be the Messiah. He will once more deal with the enemies of God. But what is this scroll? Well, it's going to be opened in the next couple of chapters. Amen, church? Amen. And you're going to have to come back next week and find out. But the, the scroll is basically just a, a judgment against all those who presently were persecuting and harming God's people. And so right here he says, the Messiah is coming. The Lion of the tribe of Judah is coming. The Root of David is coming. He is able to open the scroll in its seven seals. Look at verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. You see, that's, that's startling. Because he was probably expecting a, a marauding lion to come out or something. But it just shows how different the thinking of God is from our own. A lamb coming as if it had been slain. You see, it had been slain. It is Jesus, amen? amen. But he is still standing. Standing at the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out to all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, now this is powerful, guys. We see that Jesus takes the scroll, and he is the one that's worthy to open it up right here. And the Bible says that he has seven horns. Horns, uh, in, in apocalyptic literature, represents strength and power. Come on. The number seven represents complete strength and power. Amen? Yes. And it says that he has seven eyes. Well, in other words, that represents wisdom and being able to see everything. And so Jesus had complete wisdom with complete understanding, with complete power, and he's going to take care of the situation. Amen, church? Verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now, saints aren't just holy people. Saints are Christians. Saints are disciples. Amen? Amen. So if you're a baptized disciple today, you're a saint. You say, well, the person I'm living with uh, is a baptized disciple, bro. But I wouldn't necessarily call him a saint. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe you need to have a good talking with that brother or sister. Amen? Amen? But the Bible, but biblically speaking, if you're faithful, if you're a baptized disciple... You are a saint. And the Bible says it's the prayers of the saints that's the very incense of heaven. Now I hope heaven's going to smell good when you get there. Amen? So you better start praying a little bit more. Verse 9. 
And it's saying a new song, saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you are slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now, this is incredible right here. We find that they extol the Lamb. And it says that because you were slain, your blood purchased men for God. Every tribe, every language, every nation, and every people. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Wow. See, right here we see world, world evangelism. Wow. Amen, church? Amen. Now remember, he represents the Messiah. In the, uh, in the Roman culture, in all military societies, when you conquer somebody... You make them a slave. So when Jesus the Messiah conquers someone, he makes them into a prince or a priest. Is that fire up right there? Jesus takes just about everything and turns it upside down. So the Bible, it says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And it will reign on the earth. You see, this passage is directed to the disciples that were living in that day. It says, you were reigning on the earth because the only thing that counts is the sovereignty of God. And because you worship God, and because you follow God, you are sovereign with God. You are reigning with Him. Does that fire you up, church? See, you can tell when someone is not doing good spiritually, Because they're very focused on man. They worry about what people think. They worry about interacting with people. They worry about being heard from people. But if you are God-focused, you are reigning with God, and there's nothing any man can do to stop that. Because you are promised a throne in heaven. Is that far you up, church? Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Does that fire you up right here? What it is a vision of chapters 4 and chapters 5. It's incredible. The spear ushers John to that open door. He sees the throne room of God. First of all comes God himself. The prism of light coming out of the jewels. The thunder. The lightning. Just like Mount Sinai. Then out of that prism comes the emerald rainbow. The promise of salvation. Then the four living creatures surround the throne. They're bowing down and paying homage to God. Because God is their creator. And they are the created. And the created 
worships their creator. Amen, church? Amen. Then the 24 thrones of the elders, they too are worshiping God. They fall down to their knees, offering the crown of salvation back to God in thankfulness. Then the Bible says right here that there are thousands upon thousands of angels that are praising God in song. That are encircled around the thrones of the elders. And outside the angels are all the people of all time who are saved. They are all praising God saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. What is happening here? Cosmic worship. Come on, Come on bro. Cosmic worship. When you understand that cosmic worship is taking place at this very hour. It's going to change your life. Are you with me here, church? Let's get practical now. Let's talk about worship services. First point. Worship is God's glorification. Let's go back to the first worship service in Acts 2. In Acts 2, we find that people... That, sorry, we find that Peter is literally preaching to thousands of people in Jerusalem. He's challenging them with the message of Jesus Christ. And they are cut to the heart. They ask, what do we do? He says, you need to repent. You got to become a disciple. And you got to be baptized. Every sin's forgiven. Come on, brother. In verse 41, we read, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Now that is awesome cosmic worship right here. See, remember the Bible teaches if one person repents, then the angels in heaven are rejoicing. So what about 3,000 people? See, that was a cranking moment in heaven. Amen, guys? Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. I mean, guys, 3,000 just got baptized. Wow. Yeah. 3,000 people are devoted to the apostles' teaching, are devoted to the fellowship, are devoted to breaking oh, prayer, right. are devoted to That's prayer. Awesome. And the Bible says everyone is in awe. Why? Because the kingdom of God on earth has come, and they get to be part of it. Yeah. The Bible says many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Come on, bro. I mean, we see right here the heart of praise in every single disciple. Because their life wasn't, was, was centered in the worship of God. And it was a very powerful moment, was it not? Yeah. Yeah. This is a scene of the first days of God's kingdom on earth. The church. Let's fast forward 30 to 35 years into the future. And let's see what happens again to these disciples. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Come on, Peter. Come on, Peter. Right here in chapter 11, the church is being admonished. And it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance of faith, 
that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right here we find these people who have been Christians for a long time. They were missing church. Oh, oh baby. Why? Because church for them wasn't about God anymore. It was just something in the schedule. They have drifted. And right here the Bible says, Hey, you need church to hold to your good confession. Yeah. You need church to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Amen. Well now... What did the writer of Hebrews do to get these people fired up about church again? Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Come on, bro. In verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness, gloom, and storm. Once more, a reference to Mount Sinai. Do you guys see that right here? Yeah. Verse 19. To a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking, words that those who heard it begged that no, that no further words be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. It says that when Moses saw Mount Sinai, when he saw the very presence of God on the mountain, the leader of God's people was going, man, I'm scared. <laughs> God is so awesome that we should be full of awe. Wow. You know, we need, to talk to, we need to talk a little bit about what church in your Christian life has become. Around us are many denominational churches. And for them, it's not about Christianity it's about churchianity. Oh, yeah, that's true. The Bible talks about Christianity. Yeah. Where God and Christ is the center of worship, you know we have to address the fact that over the past several weeks, we have disciples coming late to services. Now, from time to time, there's going to be a bicycle race or traffic. Or there might be a problem. But, but you know something? If I told you Michael Jordan was going to be in town. If I told you he's going to be here today. Or maybe if I told you President Trump was going to be here tonight. Oh. <laughs> or maybe President Obama. Amen. Amen? Come on, bro. <laughs> or, or just some human being that, that you super admire. Amen, church? Yeah. Yeah. We'd be going, oh. I gotta be there early. Yeah. Or if we're going to have some band that you just think is super cranking because you just wanna get a good seat, because you don't wanna sit in the back there, do you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you wanna be there early, you wanna, you wanna get there as soon as possible. You know, you wanna just be strolling, strolling in to the doors saying, oh, it's great to 
go to uh, to awesome service today. Mm. You see, you see, listen. When we come to worship the Lord, wow. when, we, when we come to worship the Creator of heaven and earth, then that should get our attention yeah. and fire us up in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Because that is what worship is all about. And yet many of us have lost that sense of awe of coming to the kingdom of God. See, even our singing. You know, sometimes when you, when you go to the back and the singing up front is cranking. It's, it's electric. But, but the further you get back, sometimes the less intense the singing becomes. Yeah. And see, listen, if you're a sold-out disciple, it, it doesn't matter where you sit. You say, well, I, I don't know the words to sing. Well, that's why we have songbooks. And it's a heart issue. Yeah, there it is. Why? You sing when you're happy. Yeah. true. I mean, if you're in the car, and one of your favorite, t- favorite tunes comes on, don't tell me you wouldn't just crank that up a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even even tonight, the the greatest showman, the soundtrack was on, and it, it was booming, amen. But you want to go? Oh, one of my favorite songs in the world. Let me just turn it down right there. No, you you, you wouldn't do that. You see, who would do that besides your your brother or sister? No. When, when, when your favorite song comes on, you want it full blast, amen? Why? Because that is your heart. When we're singing songs to God, and songs to Jesus, and songs to encourage one another, we need to turn it on full blast right there. It would be church. When it's preaching the word of God, do we have our Bible out? Or is the Bible just sitting on our knee or do we just leave it at home? Do we take notes? Most of us are in school, are we not? And what would you do if you're sitting there in class, you have your your textbook there, no notes, you think you're just going to absorb all the information? Oh, call it out, bro. Are you with me, church? If you're serious about God, if you're serious about learning about God, you're going to have an open Bible, and you're going to take notes, because you want to learn about God, amen? And just because I stand behind this desk, and I teach the Bible, doesn't make it the Word of God. It's the Word of God because it's right here, and you have to check out, grab it. To check out what the Bible says itself. Come on, come on. If what I say matches up to the Word of God, then it is the Word of God. Amen, church? Amen. And if it's the Word of God, then you got to obey. How about communion? We talk about the death of Jesus, and these brothers and sisters are pouring out their, their hearts about God on the cross. When was the last time you cried? Or have you drifted so far that you can't cry even over the cross. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Contribution. Oh. You know, here our, our church is growing incredibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just this year, what nineteen editions in, in twenty weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, wow. But just as the membership grows, 
so should the contribution. Amen. If, a church is, if a church is growing, but the contribution doesn't mirror that, you know what the problem is? It's the new Christians aren't as appreciative as some of us who have been in the church for years. Wow. And they, or they don't understand the gifts of God. But you know what is also happening? Some of us older Christians are taking what we used to give to God in joy and putting it in our own houses. We're putting it into our lives. Come on, bro. And we're taking away what God can use in the contribution. You know, I've seen people with Starbucks in their hands before church. I'm not saying Starbucks is evil. But I'm just saying... A Starbucks cup costs about what, three bucks, maybe a little bit more. If if you get the the whole elixir right there, if you get all that whipped cream, all the drizzles, it gets four, five, maybe six bucks. I mean, they're about they're about this tall, with the cream and the straw and all and all that together. Wow. And after you consumed your your Starbucks breakfast. You put nothing in the plate. Or some of you guys, it's great to take the sisters out on dates. Amen, sisters. But uh, I remember a brother one time in Boston. He goes, he goes, spend uh, put more in the plate than you do on the dates. Come on, bro. Well, you got to say, well, why? Because it's all about God. Amen? Yeah. Now, now the, the contribution is not the center of worship. The preacher or the pulpit is not the center of our worship. No. The center of our worship is God. Yeah. And when we worship in service, and when the worship is over, that doesn't mean you rush to your car, head over to Chick-fil-A, and get a burger or something. You see, church is about fellowship. Come on. The disciples in Acts 2, they ate together. Wow. Yeah. When was the last time you asked a weaker, weaker or poorer brother and sister to come eat with you? Amen. Come on, bro. I'm saying, I'm saying guys, if we want to be lovers of God, then we've got to have the church of the Bible. Are you with yeah. me right here, church? Yeah. That's what we've got to have. On, There's this article that's entitled, How to Find... The perfect house of worship. And the whole premise of the article is simply this. Why isn't there someone like a real estate agent who can help me find a church? And it goes through the whole article and has, has some good thoughts. And it brings out some pro- provocative questions. One like, why are you looking? Are you looking to find a comfortable place? A place for your children? Or are you just looking... Or you're just looking, are you just going through a tough time? Wow. Two, what sort of neighborhood are you looking for? How much space do you need? I mean, I remember going to church growing up, and there'd be just three, four, five seats, a whole row of seats where it was just, just me or just, just a family. Yeah. And every, every family had their own section of seats. Yeah. And, and, and they'd, they'd have like a fellowship break or something like that. Say, hey, greet your neighbor, give him a high five or a handshake. And sometimes you have to climb over the seats just to get to him. Oh, yeah. Are you with me, church? Are you with me, guys? Yeah, it's true. 
last question is what will it cost? And they're saying, well, you can't get you can't get a church at, at a price. You can get church at a price. In this city, you can get a church that's happy with you coming once a year. They're very happy if you give a couple of bucks every couple of weeks. Um, and they're happy if you come on holidays. Oh, yeah. But the Church of the Bible, what does that cost? Yeah. It costs your entire life. Amen? Yeah. Come on. We, need, we need to understand that worship is God's glorification. Yeah. Point two. Worship is our transformation. Oh, Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, right here, Paul mentions and reminds them of the grace of God. And he says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, that's in contrast to the Old Testament, where to be right with God, they had to offer up animals, uh, animal sacrifice, amen? Mm -hmm. But here, in the New Testament, it says that out of your appreciation of the grace of God, that you must offer your own body as a living sacrifice. But you know what the problem with a living sacrifice? It squirms. Yeah. 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 It has a tendency to want, want, to, want to get off the altar. Yeah. And he says, do not be conformed to the world. Now he's talking to the disciples here. He's saying, but be transformed. Be different. He says, then when you're different, when you're transformed... Then you can know the very will of God. See, have you ever been, about, been confused about the will of God for your life? Maybe it's because you've been conformed to the world. Are you conformed, are you conformed to the world's priorities? See, a, a true Christian's priority is God and the church. Do you look at people from a worldly point of view? That you're either better at, than them, or oh no... They're better than me. Do you look at women as sexual objects? Or do you look at them as potential sisters in Christ? Are, are you conformed to the world and how hard you work at work? Well, everybody goofs off. Well, everybody else comes in late. Well, everybody else about the time, uh, lies about the time they check in. Well, everybody else takes a longer break. So I'll just be like everybody else. No wonder you're unfruitful. You're not different. You're conformed to the pattern of this world. You're not transformed. And the true disciple is being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. We've been church. I think it's been really, been really amazing the past couple of weeks. The people that have been baptized. Demetrius. Having, having a, a terrified fear of family. To now being fearful and being reverent to God. Amen? Peter Gale. Focused on school and now focused 
on the cross. See, their lives, their purpose in life has radically changed. And how and now that they've been transformed, they have become useful to God. That's a transformation. Amen, guys. When you become a true Christian, when you become a disciple, you get deep convictions. And you get a fire for God in your belly. Are you with me, church? See the bottom line. You got to ask yourself. Are you, as a disciple, being conformed to the world? Or are you being transformed? He's saying right here that worship isn't the worship service. And in Romans 12, 1 through 2, living a transformed life as a living sacrifice, that is your spiritual act of worship. Come on, bro. Finally, worship is our inspiration. Point three. Remember in Revelation chapter four, they're all singing this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen, church? And actually that comes from the book of Isaiah. Let's go for our closing scripture in Isaiah chapter six, where we find God's, where we find Isaiah's calling from God. And it reads, in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 6. In that year, King Uzziah died. And I saw the Lord high and exalted. Now you know something? Whenever you seek God on the throne, you know good things are going to happen. Amen? That's right. Radical things are going to happen. Come on. Seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole world is full of his glory. Once more, God wants his glory filled throughout the entire world. Are you with me, church? At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook the temple and was filled with smoke. Woe to me! I cried. I'm ruined! Let me tell you something. If you get in the very presence of God, that's exactly going to be your response. Woe to me! I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I mean, he was forgiven by God right here. Now, let's look at what happens. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, With whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You see, when God touches your lips, when God touches your heart, when God touches your life and makes you clean, you're inspired. The calling of Christ may seem difficult for some. But we even sing about it. I have decided to follow Jesus. Mm, No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. We talk about it. 
Though none go with me, still I will follow. See, the true follower of Christ, their heart has a willingness to do anything, to go anywhere, to give up everything. You see, this was Isaiah's heart when he got cleansed. Even these past few years, there was a call to start a church out of Orlando, Florida. A, A very skilled couple with a deep heart for God, a deep heart for people, with a love to preach the word. And recently married, Mike and Chanel Patterson, here we are, send us. And they moved here to start the Gainesville Church. (laughs) Even though we worship God, God's method is to use human leaders. Amen, guys? Then as we're called to answer the call in modern day and then they were called to answer their call in modern day Athens. That is Boston. Amen. Yeah. With all the different colonies. They were called about two years ago. And when they were called, they said, Here am I. Send me. And so they moved with a few others to Boston. And then there was a call that very same day for a new couple in Orlando to move to Gainesville. Marcel and Tia Turner. And when they got a call from Matt Sullivan, they said, here am I. Send me. And now, about two years later, Matt calls calls him up again. Says, guys, I need help. We need help with the mission team in Miami. We love you guys. We're, we're proud of all you've done. It's time to do it again here in Miami. And they said, here am I. Send me. And I think at times we take what we have so much for granted. You see, what is happening here in Gainesville? It is the worship of God. When we take a step back and look at where people have come from, and now where people are going. I mean, just think about where people have been sent out to. To Dallas. To Hawaii. To Massachusetts. To mainland China. To New York. To Washington, D.C. Why? Because of God. And the worship of God. And their salvation and the salvation of the world. And a lot of us just come to church and put in our time. You know, one of the couples that I know that we love and appreciate so much are Matt and Helen Sullivan. But if you didn't know, they weren't always in the full-time ministry. See, Matt Matt was baptized as a teen and had a dream that one day he wanted to preach the very words of God. They moved to Portland in about 2002 to be part of the Portland church because the church they were part of was, was hurting. It was weak. It was spiritually dying. And they said, listen... Our children are getting close to teen years. And the teens that are part of our church are, are not faithful to God anymore. And we want our teens to grow up in a ministry of teens that are on fire for God. Come on. Yeah. Come on. It's awesome. We want our teens to get to heaven. You see, we, we want to be part, 
we want to be in a church where we get to be called higher by the word of God. And so they literally left everything and they moved to Portland. And in the first year, they were given to lead a Bible talk. After that one year of leading a Bible talk, it turned into five Bible talks. But here, and this is the thing that's most exciting, guys. They came with an unbelievable dream. They wanted to go into the ministry. At that time, Matt was 39 years old. And you got to ask, well, why is a 39-year-old man dreaming? (laughs) Matt began to preach the word. And they came to Portland with no promise of going to the ministry, but really only with faith. They wrestled with job opportunities, but then they, they had an idea. If they flipped a house, so if they, if they bought a house, they renovated it, and then they sold it, they could be self-sufficient on the profits. They could be self-sustaining in the ministry full-time. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And now, 16 years later, 2018, they have not just led one church or two churches. They are now world sector leaders. You see, their faith and their sacrifice went together to make their dream a reality. Why? Because they worship God. And when your life is all about the worship of God, and you're joining the four creatures, you're reminded of the emerald rainbow, you're looking at the 24 thrones, and the elders falling down before the throne of God, offering the crown of their salvation, when you're listening upon the thousands upon thousands of angels singing, and you're looking around at all the people of all time that are saved, and you're involved in this cosmic worship service, when the call from the throne comes, who shall we send? It's real easy. You're just going to answer, here am I, send me, and to God be all the glory. Come on.